Well, good morning, everybody. How's it going this morning? You look good. You good and awake? Amen. Well, I want to give you just a, I want to reiterate one of those announcements. That's small groups. They're going to launch next Sunday, which means that uh, the following week after the 29th, there will just be meeting, hopefully for the first time, most of our groups. So if you've not signed up, uh, you can go to cityofhopechurch.org, click small groups, and fill out the info, and we'll, we'll plug you into one. Amen. And uh, also, we, we had a little update from last week. Last week, I shared with you what, what we had brought in so far, the total for our giving campaign, Awake and Hope, and that went up a little bit this past week. So go ahead and throw that up on the board. Let them look at it. Yeah, praise God. You, you give the Lord a hand clap for that. And as you can see, we're, uh, we're painting a little bit out here. One of the guys, Brian Jackson, and I were here this week doing a few things as they were painting, and one of the guys came up to Brian Jackson and said, Boys, I don't know about this. He said, I don't know about painting a church black. You boys sure you want to do this? <laughs> I said, Yeah, we'll go ahead and defile the house of God and paint it black. Uh, I don't know. I like black, so amen. We're going to go ahead and get right on into this. Uh, last week, I preached a message called... Uh, the duty of disobedience, and I got uh, mixed feedback from it, mostly positive. Uh, one lady was sharing with me how much she enjoyed the message, and she shared it with her husband to listen to, and as he was listening to it, he got about 10 minutes in. He said, I don't know if I want to listen to this or not. I said, that's when you know it's a good message, I guess. I don't know. Uh, so this one will only be slightly better than last week's. Amen. But we're going to go ahead and get into it. Uh, I'm going to do just probably a couple of messages right here, maybe two, maybe three, out of uh, the book of First and Second Thessalonians. And it's, I'm going to call it Final Instructions because in my Bible, when I read uh, the book of First Thessalonians, right at the end of it, Paul is he's essentially talking to them about the end times. They're, they're dealing with difficulty. They're dealing with hardship. And First and Second Thessalonians is really a study if you notice about people who are in intense persecution, waiting on the coming of the Lord, and then Paul gives them final instructions on how they ought to behave while they're living through the, certain, the, the specific things that they're going through. So I want to get into that over the next couple of weeks, uh, but we're going to start in 1 John, actually. So I've got several verses, and it, it'll take me a minute to get to Thessalonians, but I'm going to start in 1 John, and we'll get to there just in just a moment. So let's read 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, and then we'll pray together and unpack this. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Let's pray together. So, Father, we just open our hearts to you this morning, God. We're thankful for your presence and for your goodness. And, Lord, God, I'm just thankful, Lord, that we can come in here and worship you because, God, with all the burdens that we carry, the anxiety, the pressure, the fear, Lord, that we all deal with on different levels, God, when we can worship and we can give you praise and glory and fix our mind on you, Lord Jesus, I just feel that it lifts 
And so I pray you'd lift every burden this morning that you would strengthen people, Lord. I pray that this word would be anointed by your spirit to convict, Lord God, and, and to compel and to draw people to you. And Lord Jesus, that, that at the end of this, God, every single one of us could just have a heart that wants to be nearer to you, God, to do your work as you've called us to do it. And so we submit to you. We ask that you'd speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, these verses are kind of interesting because you've got that really emotionally charged word, Antichrist, right? And like nowadays, it's, it's almost like if you say that word Antichrist, you're immediately thrown out as, as some kind of lunatic or crazy person. But the reality is, is that if we believe Scripture, you just can't hardly get away from it. And I'm really not one of those preachers that say, well, you know those words, that word's taboo, that's kind of a trigger word for people. If it's in the Bible, I'm probably going to do my very best to preach upon it at some point or another. Amen. And so, and so he's telling us these things. He's talking about the Antichrist, that is the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the world and also is coming. And the Antichrist, it really just means in place of Christ. Uh, again, we could say it means against Christ, but it means in place of Christ or against Christ. And throughout Scripture, what he's saying is that, listen, this spirit of Antichrist, it's been at work in the world for a long time now, but we're going to see a culmination in the end times where this spirit is going to come in a greater fashion, in a greater measure. And he says, you're going to be able to tell whether these people are of the Spirit of God or not. He said, if they confess Jesus as Lord... And they say that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that he is who he says he is, he's the Lord of all. Then it's the Holy Spirit speaking. He said, he said but if these people deny Christ, if they deny that he's come in the flesh, if they deny these things, then you see the spirit of Antichrist is at work. Now, I love what it says because based on what he says, see, we are destined to overcome this world and the spirit that is behind it through Jesus Christ. He says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, and we have overcome them. And he says, so while you you're living in these last days, what you've got to understand is you cannot just believe every spirit. There's going to be many spirits behind entertainment, behind media, behind all sorts of different influences in the world. And he, he said, don't believe every spirit that comes to you, but test the spirits to see whether they be of God. Amen. That is good advice, isn't it? Especially for our day and age. But see, many scholars, what they believe is, is that, and you could make a lot of different arguments. When it comes to end times theology and eschatology and what's going to happen in the end, there's a lot of speculation. And you know, Jesus really didn't want us to get into a whole lot of speculation about when he would come or this or that, but he did want us to be aware and he said, I need you to be prepared, I need you to be ready for when these things happen. And so as he's speaking about these things, what we'll find out when, when we read and we study, and probably if you've heard a lot of it, most scholars believe that there's going to be a seven-year tribulation period at the end of this thing. And up to this point, what that means is that there's been a lot of antichrists that have risen up, but in the end, there's going to be one final antichrist. And it's going to culminate in one guy, one big guy, and we talked about this last week, that is ultimately going to take over everything. Now, if you read the book of Revelation, and sadly, I've been reading the book of Revelation here in First and Second Thessalonians lately, so I've been digging in this and unpacking some of it. But if you read in the book of Revelation, a lot of scholars will say that there's, there's four horsemen in the book of Revelation, and these four horsemen, they're not uh, Ric Flair and Arn Anderson and the other two guys. I don't know if you remember them or not. 
but it's not those two guys it's, it's, or four guys. It's, it's actually something different. And these four horsemen represent in Scripture, it represents conquest and the breakdown of peace. It represents war and economic collapse and famine and disease. And all of these things are represented by the four horsemen. And right now you live in this time like even, uh, I, think, I think society's mentality has changed. Used to, if anything happened in the world, they'd say that's the judgment of God, period, boom, judgment of God. Nowadays, we don't say that so much. It's a little bit more taboo. We say, well, no, no, that's just, that's just, it's just the way the world is and it's the way that it's created. And, the, and we get into a lot of different things. So people will argue, are these things that are coming upon the earth, is it, is it because of sin or is it because of divine judgment? What's going on? And my answer would be ultimately both. Because what we see in the book of Romans, how Romans teaches it, is that the world has gone half crazy essentially. And that's the way that it's been. And it's been that way. Why? Because of human sin. Because humanity has rejected God and said, you know what, God, we don't want you in our lives. We'd rather be our own gods. We'd rather decide for ourselves what's good, what's evil, and chart our own course in life and move forward in that direction. And what Scripture said is because that humanity has suppressed the truth in unrighteousness and said we don't want to hear the truth, we would rather hold to our sinful ways, what God's judgment is is that He simply hands us over. He said three times in the book of Romans chapter 1, he says, and therefore he handed them up. He gave them up. He gave them over. He handed them over. Because they chose to reject God, he said, all right, if that's what you want, here you go. And as you see that humanity falling deeper into sin, you see sin increasing in the world. You see greater calamities. You see the world being infected by war and plague and disease on greater measure. And it's increasing at an alarming rate. And that's how we know we're moving toward the end, so to speak, is because these things are happening on a greater global magnitude. These things have always happened. The four horsemen have been unleashed Throughout history, you've always seen wars and rumors of wars. You've always seen pestilences and plagues and sicknesses and diseases and famines. But what he's saying, Jesus says, these things are going to intensify. You see them in greater measure and you know that the time is near. And so this is where we are. And we live in a, we, we live in a time right now that's very interesting because man has never been more proud of himself. We get up and we stand up and we talk about all the things that we can fix. And we just need to trust the science. Somebody said, he's going to go there again, isn't he? <laughs> Can I tell you this? I, I thank God for science, man. Science is powerful because you would have to be totally ignorant to say that science has not made great progression over the history of time. I mean, I can look, I can go outside. I, fly on a pl I flew on a plane like six times this year. And you sit there and watch them suckers. Got to weigh hundreds of thousands of pounds, it looks like. And they're just floating, it looks like, as they're taking off. And I'm thinking, how in the world does that even happen? It's science, bro. That's how we answer everything now. It's just it's science. And we have created vaccinations and inoculations that, that are helping people. And, and medical science is helping people. You'd have to be crazy to deny the fact that science is a blessing from God. And that it's used as a blessing. And God, you, you'd have to be crazy. But my fear is this, is that we're actually moving into a place where we put science in the place of God. And we say, trust the science, trust the science, trust the science. Can I tell you something? Science will not give you eternal life. Science still does not cure all diseases. 20 million people die every year from heart disease, 10 million from cancer every year. So while we are seeing progress in science and it's helping us and we thank God for those blessings, we trust and put our faith in God because this world cannot be saved by science. 
That's a good argument, Clay. Thank you. I mean, I helped myself this morning. Because I love science. I appreciate what science does, but it is not God. And so we, we have to understand that as human beings, we cannot fix this thing. Our president, our governor, they're not going to fix this thing. And we have to be prepared for what is going to come upon the earth so that we can say, you know what? We're not looking to other people to bail us out and take care of us. We're looking to God alone. Our trust is in God. We appreciate science. We appreciate all the other things that people give us. We appreciate our government and the help that they supply for us. But at the end of the day, our trust is in God because we understand that behind the scenes, the spirit of this world is at work and it is headed in a demonic direction. And so we have to be aware, we have to be discerning. And here's what it says in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1 through 2. See, this is where we're at. And the scripture says that we've got to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Yeah. Revelation 6, 1 through 2, it says, Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. And the Lamb opening the seals is really that picture of this. It's the picture of humanity having gone fully away from God and God saying, okay, at this point I'm going to unleash the seals because I have, I have put restraints on the evil of this world. The reason you don't see this world being totally destroyed and demolished is because God in His mercy has restrained much of it, folks. And then all of a sudden the Lamb says, well, it's the end. Let's open these seals. Let's open it up. Let's give humanity what they really want, what they're really asking for. And he says, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold a white horse and he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquering and to conquer. Now, the bow represents war and conquest. There are some scholars that would say, you know what, this represents Jesus Christ uh, be because the bow represents how he's going to shoot arrows of conviction into the world, into the heart. He's conquering the world through the gospel. I love that, but if I read it in its context, what I see is this. I see that you have four horsemen, and, and this one on the white horse is actually the Antichrist because he mimics Christ. He stands in place of Christ because we know when Jesus comes back at the end, what does he come riding? It's symbolically a white horse. Amen. And when he comes back, he restores all creation and ushers in a reign of righteousness and defeats and vanquishes all evil. Hallelujah. But right now what we have is an enemy that is trying to rise up and take the place of Christ in deception. And when he comes, he comes with a crown that represents an authority. He's going to be some type of a world leader. And when he comes, the Bible teaches that he comes speaking great pompous words of peace and safety and security. But ultimately he's the antithesis of the Christ. And so the white horse, what it represents is deception and destruction. And this first seal, when it's open, deception and destruction. The Bible says in Thessalonians that because they did not receive the love of the truth, they were handed over to strong delusion. That they'll be deluded in their minds, that they'll believe things literally that aren't even true at all. And so deception and destruction comes in. And in 2 Thessalonians, Paul talks about this very, very same man because in Thessalonians, the church in Thessalonica was being so persecuted that, here's the thing, when you start getting persecuted and you ain't got nothing to eat and things are going bad, you start looking for the Lord to come back, y'all. When things are going good, all the teenagers are like, I don't want the Lord to come back yet. I still want to get married and have kids and have a real nice car. Amen. Y'all didn't laugh at that. You're like, that's me. I'm, I'm wanting that. 
I know y'all want that. There's nothing wrong with wanting good things. God created this world for us to enjoy it and enjoy creation. But sadly, sin and Satan has taken this sucker over and hijacked it, y'all. I mean, I hate to bring bad news this morning. But things are going to get worse before they get better. And we've got to be able to receive this in our heart. And so they're like, man, hey, hey, Paul, tell us when he's coming because this ain't looking good. Y'all ever get in that situation? My, I told somebody my favorite prayer right now is come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's my favorite prayer right now. And, and so he says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Perdition is another word for destruction. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now he's saying, look, don't be shaken, don't be troubled. Telling people saying that the Lord has already come or the day of the Lord is at hand. He said, this is not going to happen until there's a great falling away first and the man of sin, the man of lawlessness is revealed. And here's one thing that you need to understand is that throughout history, people have thought over and over again because there have been antichrists that have raised up in our world that they were experiencing the end times. In every generation almost, in, mo in most cultures, everybody has have always thought, man, this is it, this is the end. And you see that happening. And it started when he's speaking. In, in about the year 168 B.C., there was a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes who was the leader of the Seleucid Empire. This guy goes in and in three days murders 80,000 Jews, walks into the temple, proclaims himself to be the manifestation of Zeus, says, I am God, and slaughters a pig on the altar 168 years before Christ. And when he does that, that was essentially what they believed that Daniel said was the abomination that causes desolation. And that happened for the first time. This man was an antichrist that came upon the scene and caused that. But see, many other emperors rose up. You have Nero who proclaimed himself to be God at the time. Emperors did that. You had, you had Nero. Then, then, then in our closer to the modern world, you have Stalin. You have Hitler, Stalin killed about 20 million of his own people. Hitler killed 10 million, including 6 million Jews. And Mussolini did very much the same. And then you have guys like Muhammad of the Islamic religion, right, that come in. And I, it's so interesting. The, the Islamic faith is really interesting. Y'all want to learn a little bit about it right quick? Amen, you good? So they believe in Jesus. But they don't believe in the Jesus that you and I believe in. They call him Esau, the son of Mary. And they believe that Jesus was a prophet, and they believe that he came, but he did not die on the cross. And he is not the son of God. He is not divine. He's simply a man who is a prophet. And their end times belief, Islamic end times belief, is that this man who came, this prophet Esau, son of Mary who came, will return. And when he returns, he will come back because he just disappeared. He didn't die. He just disappeared. He, he, he ascended. And he went to be with Allah. And when he returns, what the Muslims believe is that he will return and there will be a 12th Imam, a Mahdi, which is a Messiah for them in the end days. And this Mahdi will, will set up a global caliphate that will reign and rule over the entire world. And Jesus will come back and Jesus will bow the knee to this Mahdi and say the caliphate is yours and follow him performing signs and wonders. That's what they believe. Now see, this is not what we believe. What we believe is that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. 
that he is divine, that he did come, that he did die on the cross, that he was raised from the dead, defeating death for all humanity, that he ascended on high and is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And when he comes, he will vanquish all of the enemies with the breath of his mouth. All he's got to do is speak a word. And when that happens, all of these falsehoods and ideologies and the antichrists that have been raised up and the final antichrist will be defeated and evil will be vanquished and Satan will be bound. Amen. And that's hope. That's hopeful for me, y'all. I'm looking forward to that day. In 1 Thessalonians, though, here's what he goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. He says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Now, they had many questions about the return of the Lord because they were dealing with extreme persecution, just like I said. And he says, look, there's going to be a great falling away first. The Antichrist is going to be revealed. And I love what he says. He says, you know that this day is going to come as a thief in the night. And he's basing this on Jesus' own teaching. He's saying, you're not going to know the day or the hour. Now, you can start to notice the signs and be aware of the times. But see, because these things have happened globally throughout our, our history in different ways, people have always thought this. Because God always wants his people to be ready. And we don't know. And the reason he hasn't come back, Scripture says, is because he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He said, this gospel shall be preached to the ends of the earth, and then the end shall come. The reason he doesn't wrap it up right now is because he wants us to get busy taking the gospel to the ends of the earth so that more people can be saved. That's his heart. And that's the reason that he's extending it. He's extending time as much as he can for people to wake up and say, look, y'all ain't got much time left. You know this day comes like a thief in the night. You're not going to know, he said, but you're different because while the world is asleep and they can't tell anything that's going on and they're over here trusting everything but God and believing in everything but God, they're asleep, they're slumbering. He said, but you're not children of the darkness. You're children of the day. He said, it's not going to overtake you unaware. You're going to be aware of this. There's an inner sense in the Christian heart, the Spirit of God that says, you know what, guys, I can tell this stuff right here, this is, it's, uh, it's getting a little bit queer outside. Yeah. Amen. There's something in there going on in, in, in your spirit where you know, and he says this, he says, now when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction comes upon them. Now this is very interesting because in, in, in Paul's time, The Roman Empire, which had taken over essentially the known world at that time, they had this saying, Pax et securitas. Okay, that's what they would say. And it meant peace and security, peace and safety. And they would come in basically and make you submit to them. But what they would promise you is if you bow down to us, we're going to establish peace and security and safety if you just submit to us. And, of course, if you didn't submit to to them, they would kill you. Amen. But it was all in the name of peace and safety. If you will just let us control this, we're going to supply your needs. We're going to take care of you, just like any nice government throughout the world. And and he said, it's going to be about peace and safety. But from Paul's perspective, he said, these claims are an illusion and they're deceptive 
and they're dangerous because there is no institution, no man-made human institution that is ultimately going to give you security. They're going to try to give you security. They're going to say, just do this, you're going to be all right. Just take that, you'll be all right. We're going we're to get this thing fixed. If we just get this guy in office, it's going to be all right. We will take care of you. There's going to be peace. There's going to be safety. But he says you cannot have a human institution that would ultimately deliver you from the judgment that is coming on this world. They ain't going to be able to do it. And so our trust, like I said, as thankful as we are for science, as thankful as we are for government and man-made institutions, they are not God and they cannot save you. And so he says, they're going to be saying peace and safety and then sudden destruction will come upon them in a moment of time. And so in the face of this, we are called to proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his coming kingdom. And really the proper preparation for Jesus' return is service rather than suspicion. Amen. You can waste all your time trying to figure out when he's going to come. I promise you this, you ain't going to figure it out. There have been people do mathematic equations say 88 reasons. There was a book, 88 reasons why the Lord's coming back in 1988. He didn't come back. They said, well, it's going to be the year 2000. Well, then they said, well, then it's the Mayan calendar. He's coming back in 2012. You don't know when the Lord's coming back. Give it up. Serve the Lord. Worship the Lord. Proclaim the gospel and say he's coming soon. We don't know when he's coming, but he's coming back. And we're waiting on him from heaven and Revelation 6, 4, it says another horse, fiery red, went out and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. Man, if that ain't happened. And that people should kill one another and there was given to him a great sword. See, this red horse represents represents division and violence. And the spirit of the end times unleashes a new level of fear and violence and there's great division among people. I mean, have you seen any greater division in our world than what we have experienced in the last few years? It's our political parties. I preached last year about how right now our political parties, there has never been a greater divide in history between Democrat and Republican, right and left. They continue to move further away from each other. Greater division than ever before among our political parties. Just last year we had this, this big racial division and issue Raise up. We know that racism of any sort is, e- is evil and it needs to be dealt with, but at the same time, it's almost like people were just trying to prod you to, 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 to enter into this racist battle and all this stuff and, the, and this division, creating division among people. And then, of course, today, right now, we're dealing with division over the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And one hates one group for it, and the other one hates the other group for it. Won't y'all just love each other and let, either, let one another be? I mean, my Lord. Pray about it. Make a good godly decision. But then love one another, y'all. Because at the end of the day, none of that is going... I'm telling you, that's a small thing in the overall piece of the pie. We need to be praying for people that are dealing with these sicknesses and these illnesses because obviously they are serious. As the church of Jesus Christ, we're called to minister healing to people and love to people and care for people. But the division that has come into these issues is greater than ever before. There's an, out, there's an outrage. There's a division. There's a violence. And I don't even have to tell you, I don't have to turn on the news this morning for y'all to see that this is happening worldwide. This, this, this past week I read an article about how right now the Taliban in Afghanistan is going and demanding phones from people. And if they have the Bible app on their phone or a Bible on their phone, they kill them point blank. And this is the world that we live in. And this, these things are coming. These things are intensifying. 
He says in Revelation 6, 5 and 6, he opened the third seal and I heard the third living creature say, come and see. So I looked and behold a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand and I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. Now he says this black horse is holding scales and scales represent the process of buying and selling. Because in the olden days, you would weigh your money and they would weigh what they were going to sell you and that's how it happened. But he's saying that there's a place where prices are skyrocketing, there's inflation, resources are scarce. And number three, the black horse, it represents economic collapse. And nobody wants to hear that. And thank God, you know, in our, in our generation, we talk about economic collapse. Like, like when we had, the, everything happened, I think, in 2008 when the, 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 the car crashed, you know, like all the industries, the car industry and all this stuff crashed. Like even that, when you talk about real poverty in the world, it wasn't that bad, y'all. We, we, oh, economic collapse, the stock market has crashed. I'm like, everybody's still eating taters. <laughs> but they're talking about Real economic collapse. When things come in and there is not enough money where you're talking about one day's wages will buy enough bread for one person. And he says, Revelation 6, 8, he says, I looked and there before me was a pale horse and its rider's name was Death and Hades was, was following close behind him. And they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, famine, and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. Now the pale horse represents disease and death. And so one of the indicators, like we've said, if you look throughout history, there have been diseases, there has been death, there have been plagues, there have been famines throughout history. Jesus says you're going to see these things increasing, deception, wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, pestilences, natural disasters, and fear intensifying and increasing on a larger global scale. And when you see all of these things happening, he says, look up for your redemption draws nigh. Get focused on what matters. Look at what matters because Jesus is returning and there's actually a crown given for those who love his appearing. Like if you don't do nothing else in this life except say, man, I can't wait till Jesus comes back. He's going to place a crown on your head because you loved him more than you loved the world. Because you said, you know what, Lord, I like doing good stuff down here. We're trying to bless everybody that we can. We're enjoying one another. We got friends and family. But at the end of the day, you know what I love better than this is you. I love you more than this. And so the pale horse represents disease and death. And Donald and I were talking about this current pandemic, which is obviously a demonic thing. It's evil. And, and, and the sickness that it brings is, 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 is evil. And, and, and we want people to be healed. I believe God wants healing. But, you know, I was reading Craig Keener in one of these. He's a scholar and he says throughout history what you see is that famine and disease are frequent acts in history that serve as a wake-up call to the world. And currently, one in three children who survive birth in poor countries are unhealthy for lack of nutrition. Donald was talking about how we've been to places, and he's been to Indonesia and Africa and places throughout the world that honestly, they've lived in a pandemic their whole lives. If they get diarrhea, they'll most likely die. And we've, we've, we've just really been pampered in America to not see a lot of the difficult things that this world has seen throughout history and it's going to come a time when we may see these things on a greater scale. I pray that we don't. Like I told you last week, I pray when I'm 87, everything's good and we're in bliss and I just lay my head over. But I have to prepare according to Scripture as if that may not be the case. 
Now, Jeremiah, the biblical prophet, he prophesied of a time, and one time he got really aggravated with God because all the people in Israel, all the evil men in Israel were prospering and reigning and controlling. And he said, how long, O Lord? How long are we going to have to deal with this foolishness? And Jeremiah didn't yet know that God was going to bring judgment upon them and allow Babylon to come in and take them captive. And here's what God says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 12, 5. He says, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? He said, you ain't seen nothing yet, Jeremiah. He said, you're worn out with the footmen. The horsemen are about to be released. And how are you going to be able to handle it when that kind of pressure comes if you've already tuckered out and bailed out right here in the beginning of it? This is only the beginning, he's saying. You've got to get ready. And again, I'm not saying this because I want to freak everybody out. Y'all, I'm not a sensational type dude. I don't get into a bunch of weird stuff as much as possible. But you cannot get away from this in Scripture. It's impossible. And so what we have to understand is we've got to be sober. We've got to be alert. We've got to be discerning the times. And here's, 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 here's something that we'll talk about next week. But, you know, a lot of people say, well, this is what happens. Those four horsemen are unleashed in a greater way during the seven-year tribulation. And a good majority of Christians believe that we ain't even going to be here for that. Because we're going to be snatched up and taken away to meet the Lord in the air. Now, other people don't believe that. We may talk about that next week. What I'm going to argue is this. Whether you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture or a post-tribulation rapture, you need to be ready regardless. I tell you what, I'm going to hope for the pre-tribulation and I'm going to plan for the post. Amen. That's good advice. So you can be in a season of these difficulties and get through this because Paul gives final instructions to the Thessalonian church. He says, I know it looks crazy, y'all. He said, but you can get through this. And it's not, he gives instructions that are honestly different than the ones that a lot of people would give. Like, I would assume that Paul would be like, all right, here's what you got to do. Y'all need to go and can as many vegetables as you can, build an underground bunker and put and get a cat. Like, he didn't say any of that stuff. He talks about our mentality, our behavior, how we should, how we should work through these things. And in chapter 5, he, he makes like a checklist of what's going on in the end times and what we need to deal with. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 through 13, he's saying, look, seeing that we're looking at the end times and, and the coming of the Lord is, is soon at hand and you're dealing with persecution, he said in verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of the work and live in peace with one another. Amen. So number one, basically what I'm, what I'm sensing that he's saying to people living in difficult times is number one, you got to connect with the family of God. You want my final instructions when you're living in the end times? He said you cannot isolate yourself because the world is going crazy. Don't isolate. If you're at home watching online because you want to be safe, praise God, I support that. But make sure you call somebody on the phone or be in contact with somebody so that you can stay encouraged. You can be connected with the family of God. You can hear a word of the Lord from somebody and you don't get isolated because he's saying you got to make sure that you encourage one another and build one another up. If there's ever a time that we got to be sure to encourage one another and build one another up, it's now. Amen. Like we got to make sure, hey, that person's down. Let's go over and say a kind word to them. Let's help them out. Let's connect with the family of God. We are not designed to do this thing by ourselves. And what I see is fear has just pressed people into a corner. They feel disconnected. They feel isolated. 
And you know, one of the reasons we do small groups is for that very reason. I know some of you don't like small groups. If I, look, if I wasn't a pastor, I'd be a little bit weirded out by a small group. I don't like connecting with people. Somebody say amen. <laughs> I can't believe God made this guy a pastor. What? I mean, I love people. It's just that initial kind of, you know what I'm saying? It's awkward sometimes, isn't it? And, 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 but what he's saying is you need to make the sacrifice to make sure you're connecting with the people of God, encouraging one another, and you're living in peace with one another. See, we got small group leaders, and we only have a few, but the ones that serve as small group leaders, they really, they really help me pastor. It, you know, it's really impossible. You talk about mega churches nowadays, and you got like one dude pastoring 5,000 people. It, he's really not their pastor. You know what I'm saying? Because one person can't pastor 100, 200, 300 people. That's why you have to be in community with the people around you. Because it's impossible for me to talk to everybody in the church every day. Amen? But if we have one another, and you all realize that you're in ministry, and you're to called to connect with each other, and you're called to encourage one another and minister to one another, then the body starts to function as it's supposed to function so that people don't fall through the cracks, and we stay connected, and we live in peace with one another. The last thing that, the one thing that we cannot do is get caught up in the entangled ourselves in the affairs of this life to the degree that we start butting heads with one another over these issues. We may have some disagreements and some things when it comes to the world and, and, and the way that things work and stuff like that, but at the end of the day, we have got to come to a place where we say, you know what, we're going to live at peace with one another. We're going to put love first. Number two, he says, you've got to engage in ministry. You really got to have ministry against distraction because so many people are distracted right now. And people, things are going crazy, obviously, and people are saying, well, how do you get involved in ministry? In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, he says, We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. I love that. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. He says, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Now, you have the authority as a brother or sister to someone in Christ to go to them lovingly and say, look, man, you ain't been praying. You ain't been reading your Bible. Like, what, what, what's going on? You, you look like you're just more fearful than usual. You look depressed. You've not been sharing the God. You've not been talking about Jesus any. And go up to those people and say, you're just I, spiritually right now, you're, you're looking a little bit lazy, bro. I mean... And he says, you can go and warn these people in love and say, let's get it together. Let's pray together. Let's meet and pray together. Let's read this scripture together. Richard Jones, man, he, he talk, talks to me like he's got a bunch of guys he tries to get on Bible plans. And he'll, every now and then he'll get down to about three or four guys reading it. And he'll get a little bit depressed, you know, because he's like, man, I, I try hard, but I can't get these people to do it. I said, buddy, that's ministry. You got to fight just to get a few people interested in the word of God. But see, he's saying, warn those who are idle and warn those who are disruptive and who are getting distracted and not focusing on their spiritual walk with Jesus. And then he says, encourage the disheartened because right now, people are down, aren't they? People are down. People are weak. And he says, you need to come along, people, and have a word of God from the Holy Spirit where you can come in and you can encourage somebody who's down. You can pick them up and you can give them strength. And when they're weak, you can come alongside them. If they can't get things done, you can be the one to help them and get them through. And that'll be enough to say, you know what? I can go on a little bit further. I can make it. We've got to help the weak, encourage the disheartened. So what the Bible is really saying is that when everything is going crazy, you still have a choice. And your choice is either this. You can turn inward and say, I'm going to fend for myself and watch out for myself and I'm going to shut everybody else out. Or I'm going to start looking to how I can minister to and serve others.
And a lot of people right now are in depression and isolation and they're wondering what they need to get out of this thing. And I'm telling you, if you would just start ministering to somebody else, your spirits would be lifted. Look for somebody else to bless. Look for somebody else to encourage and minister to. Stop thinking about the fact that you're depressed and you're down. There are other people that are dealing with the same. Get a word from the Lord and share it with somebody who needs it. And all of a sudden you're going to find your spirits lifting. The antidote for needing ministry is to do ministry. Amen. And he says, be patient with everyone. How many of y'all you struggled with that recently? It's hard to be patient with people right now. Like I said, if you scroll through Facebook right now, you'd be ready to slap somebody by the time you're done. But he's saying, no, when times are hard, pressure's on everybody. People are freaking plumb out. They're, doing, they're saying things that they wouldn't ever really probably normally say except for the fact that they're under this pressure. And that's why he's saying, you know, you got to be patient with everyone. Be patient with everyone. Be, be gracious to them. That's number three. He says, be gracious. We've got to live in a spirit of grace to one another instead of outrage. Right now, man, it's the popular thing to just be in a state of outrage. We're outraged over the government. We're outraged over this thing, that, that whatever it may be. And, and it's popular to be in a state of outrage. And I'm telling you, what's way more, more popular biblically is to extend grace to somebody. Extend grace. I know that's not popular. Y'all ain't even going to clap at that. Like, we want to be mad. How many of y'all you just want to be mad? Anybody? Nobody? He got one. Got one. I mean, it's a popular thing right now. But here's what he says. See, mercy is not getting what you deserve, but grace is giving something that people don't deserve. And people may not deserve you being kind to them, but right now I'm telling you, the world needs it. The world needs it. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.15, it says, Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Don't pay back wrong for wrong. Even when somebody does you wrong, the way that you can respond, I, I, honestly, there, there have been people that have aggravated me this week, and I'm praying, I'm saying, Lord, how can I actually, how can I figure out a way to minister to this person and show this person love in a non, like, you know, weird way? Y'all ever prayed that prayer? That's a good prayer. You got somebody that's been bothering you, somebody that's done you wrong, start praying for them and saying, Lord, how can I find a way to bless this person? I'm hoping I come into contact with some of these people. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, how you doing? Come here a minute. They'd be like, what? Yeah. But that's what we've got to do. We've got to be gracious to people. And lastly, number four, rejoice always. This is what he says. He says, you're living in dark days. You're living in hard times. And I love these verses that he starts to give because as he's given these final instructions, these instructions, like I said, when you're talking about the last days, the Antichrist, the return of the Lord, and he says, all right, let me give you some instructions. These are little snippets of instructions that he gives on how to behave and how to act during it. And I'm thinking, man, these ain't hardly nothing. I don't even know if these are good or not, but I know they're good because of the Word of God. And what he says in 1 Thessalonians 5.16 is rejoice always. Rejoice always. Now, how can you be joyful when there's intense pressure, intense fear, intense anger and division and hatred and loss? We're dealing with death. People have suffered loss and death. And then there's depression that comes in. How can you be joyful when this is going on, when things seem so overwhelming? And the only answer is that you have to make a, a choice. Rejoicing is not so much a feeling as it is a choice. And I need you to understand that. Because that's where the word rejoice comes from. It doesn't come from, hey, when you wake up this morning, if you feel really good, then rejoice. 
No, he says, you wake up this morning, you may be depressed, you may be angry, you may be overwhelmed, but you can still make the choice to rejoice. And that rejoicing will move you into a state of joy. That's what he's saying. That's what he's teaching. He's saying you've got to learn to rejoice. The emphasis on joy is not so much the experience, but it's the active expression of it. I can come in here on a Sunday morning and be a little bit worried and wonder if, man, Lord, I don't know about what I'm going to say this morning and be tore up and be thinking about what somebody said. Or, and, and I can just start to worship and sing to the Lord. And as I'm rejoicing in God, I just sense, sense joy start to come up. And throughout your week, you're going to have some bad days, aren't you? I've had some bad days recently where I get all tore up. I call, I'll call somebody. The other day, I called one of my overseers, and I was talking to him and, and uh, Mark Harrell over in Somerset. And he's kind of funny because you'll tell him some of your problems, and he'll laugh. Oh, Brother Clay, isn't that wonderful? I'm like, Mark, did you hear what I just said, bro? Talking about, are you laughing at me? But the point he's trying to make, he's been in ministry over 30 years. And he understands at this point, you're going to deal with difficulty. You just need to smile about it and move forward and be joyful. You're blessed. The Lord's on your side. Hard times will come. But you got the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah 8.10 says this. He says, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy, we've got joy in the Lord that surpasses the circumstances of this world. So we just sometimes got to stand on our, on our own ground and say, you know what, I can't control what's going on in the world. I can't control how people are going to act. I know that things are crazy. I know they may get crazier, but I've got God on my side. And if God be for me, then who can be against me? I'm going to give God praise today. I'm going to worship His holy name. I'm going to know that I'm a child of the living God and He legitimately holds everything in the palm of His hand and He is sovereign over all things and there is nothing that He will allow me to go through that He will not go through, through it with me and He will lead me every step of the way. And I got a reason to rejoice then. I don't care how bad it gets, we can rejoice. And this is what Paul ends up saying. I love what he says in Philippians 4, 4. He says it like this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. You know, that's why it says rejoice. Because it means to do it over. Because what's going to happen is you'll leave here today and you say, you know what, he's right. We got a lot to be thankful for. We're going to praise the Lord. We're going to be joyful. We're going to say, praise God. We love you, Lord. You're good to us. You've blessed us. You've blessed our family. And then tomorrow, heaviness will start to try to creep in on you. And you know what he says? He says, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. And he said, I'm going to say it again just in case you forget on Monday. Again, I say rejoice. Don't forget to stay in a position and a posture of, of praise and worship before the Lord. He puts emphasis on that. Lastly, I want to finish with this quote. This lady here, she said, Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right and the determined choice to praise God in all things. That's one to carry with you right there. God is in control of every detail of my life. And I know at the end of the day, when all's said and done, everything is going to be all right. And I've got a choice based on that fact to say, you know what? I'm going to praise God no matter what happens. And I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to stay in that situation. Because yeah, we may be in the end times. But I can tell you this. 
If we are in the end times, what God is saying is you have been called for such a time as this. You've been called for such a time as this to show that you can still be at peace. You can still be joyful. You can still trust God to protect you and heal you and, and use you to encourage others. God can use you. God can use you to minister to people in this hour, to lead people to Jesus because, man, they, they've got to have this. I'm telling you, our human institutions, our science is not going to save people. It's not going to give them eternal life. They've got to have a hope for the future. And Jesus Christ is the only person who gives us that hope. Amen. I want you to bow your heads with me. Jesus Christ has died for my sins, for your sins. He's given us the hope of eternal life. And I believe with all my heart He's returning soon. And He says to be ready. He says, when I return, what will I find my servants doing? Will they be on their posts? Will they be occupying? Will they be taking care of business? Will they be ministering to the broken, the hurting, the lost? When I return, what will they be doing? And a lot of us, I'm telling you, we need to deal with our sin. We need to deal with our shame and our guilt, with our fears. And we need to turn to Jesus. So right now, just right there at our seats, I pray that each one of us, we just turn our hearts to the Lord this morning. Just begin to pray to Him right there. Say, Lord, we give you our fears this morning. All of our worries, all of our anxieties. God, we see that there are these things coming in the world. There's wars, there's rumors of wars, there's earthquakes, there's pestilences, there's sickness and disease and fear. All of these things. But God, you're still in control. And your word says, Lord, that you have not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so right now, we place our faith in you, Lord Jesus Christ, as our Savior, as Lord over all creation. And we give you our hearts in this moment. And we ask you, Lord, to fill us with your Holy Spirit, to set us free from our sin, to set us free from our worries, from our fears, from our anxieties. Lord, give us the peace that only you can give. In Jesus' name. With your head still bowed right there, I just want you to wait a minute. If there's anybody in here and you say, you know what, I, I need to give my life to Jesus. I want to follow Jesus and I want to make that step today. I've never made that step, but today I want to make that step. Would you just as an act of faith, just raise your hand real quick. Just as an act of faith, let me see your hand if that's you. Anybody at all? Praise God. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to stand to our feet right now. And we're going to worship. And as we worship, we're going to rejoice. Because we got a lot to be thankful for. And I believe as we worship, God's going to speak to your heart. He's going to minister peace to you. He's going to deal with some of the burdens that you're carrying. There are a lot of people dealing with different sicknesses, COVID and, and beyond. I mean, there's all kinds of things going on right now, but God is in control. And so we believe that the Lord can send forth His Word even in this moment to bring healing into people's lives. But let's just take a moment to pray, to, to worship, to respond to God. Just allow